It's November 18th, 1861. A woman who stayed at the Willard Hotel in Washington, D.C., woke up early that morning and went to the desk that was in her hotel room, took a pen and a piece of paper, and she began to write out the words of a song, poem really, but it was, it was set to music. And this woman, as she wrote out these words, as she recounted this, this instant later, she, she said that the, she didn't even notice that uh, the paper that she was writing on, these words just formulated, they were in her mind, and she wrote them out. And, and uh, what ended up that morning was uh, words that uh, became probably one of the most recognizable songs that you will hear uh, in this country. The day before, she sat uh, with, with a group of friends at a reviewing stand as uh, Union soldiers marched by. And uh, a, a regiment from Wisconsin marched by, and they began to sing. And, and the song they began to sing was John Brown's Body, lies a moldering in the grave. That's really an inspirational song, isn't it? But it was uh, one that uh, all the, the troops uh, joined in together. Familiar song uh, or melody because it was uh, a melody that was really formulated in the early 1800s at, at uh, campground revivals. And uh, a man sitting next to this woman, the woman was Julia Ward Howe, uh, Reverend James Charles leaned over to her and he said, he said to her, maybe you could come up with better words for that melody. It'd be a little bit more inspirational. So Julia Ward Howe, the wife of a man who was, was committed to the abolition of slavery in the United States, pinned the words, the first stanza, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And uh, you know that's, that uh, song is the battle hymn of the Republic. And if you read all the words to that song, it, it speaks of God it speaks of truth, it speaks of justice, sacrifice, and here's our theme for the last few weeks, it speaks of glory. And you all know the, the chorus of that song, glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. That song was sung all through the Civil War and uh, it's been sung uh, ever since in this country at special occasions, and the most stirring rendition I have ever heard was in the memorial service in the National Cathedral after the 9-11 tragedy. And a full choir and a, and a beautiful singer sang the words of that song. And it, it, it was not just a song, but it was a call to action. It's a call to do something. Two weeks ago, I made you a promise. I guaranteed you that I'd give you the secret for being happy. Aren't you glad you came tonight? If you weren't here two weeks ago, look what you stumbled on. I'm going to give you the secret to being happy for the rest of your life. It's, 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 it's guaranteed. Take it to the bank. In my 67 years, I've discovered the true joy isn't produced by fame. It's not produced by success. It's not produced by money. It's not even produced by health, even though that's really, really important, and, and I'm glad for the health that I have. The thing that brings me closest to true joy are relationships, relationship with my, my wife and my children and my grandchildren. But that doesn't get me, even that doesn't get me all the way there, as wonderful as, as those relationships are. I, I, I've discovered that there's only one thing that brings me pure joy, a joy that lasts, a joy that remains. 
Here's the question for tonight. How does one glorify God? How do you glorify God? We were around this theme of, of God's glory, and uh, we've talked about what glory means. We've talked about the, the, the word doxa in the New Testament Greek. It means, means splendor and majesty. Kavad in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word means weighty or, or of great substance. And the glory of God is defined, we, we said, by light. Uh, in, in terms of, of that, that radiance, we're talking about you know, how it in, enlightens our mind. It talks about joy, you know, about how, how the glory of God uh, in, in enlivens our emotions. It talks about hope, how the glory of God enlarges uh, and, and engages our will. Last week, we defined where the glory goes, and, and it might be pretty obvious while glory goes to God, right? But we talked about how Jesus, in, in his prayer before his, his crucifixion, prayed that God would, would, his Father would receive the glory, but also the glory would come to him. And then we found out, too, that the glory also comes to us, his followers. We share in that glory as well. And I want to remind you what I've told you the last two weeks. So we, you and I, every person here, you and I were made for glory. We were made for glory. And that glory is a relational concept. And it's not just a, a thing or something that we, we look at and we observe, but it involves relationship. And Jesus does a beautiful job of, of communicating that as, as he prays this prayer in John 17 we talked about last week. So if you have your Bibles or pull your bulletins, I want to I just look at the text that we're going to look at today, uh, 1 Peter 4.11 and then 1 Corinthians 10.31. Let me, let me begin by reading 1 Peter 4.11. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. And the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, as he's in a discussion in terms of how, how Christians should comport themselves in terms of the culture they're in, he, he says these profound and, and quite stirring words. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So what Peter and Paul are saying here is the essence of what it means to glorify God. And at first glance, it, it seems almost, especially that second passage, like it's a throwaway line. Well, it's just everything, okay? And you go, well, okay. But it's, when you think about it, it is so profound. It's not merely religious lip service to good behavior. The call is to a radically different view in doing life. It's not for me. Words of Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life, the first, first sentence in that book are these words, it's not about you. When we talk about the glory of God, we're reminded it's not about us. So this calls a radically different view to doing life, one that redirects our attention from ourselves and focuses it on the, the, the manner in which God has created us to better live. In other words, saying and doing things that we were created to say and do. God created you and me for a purpose and created you and me to say and do things that will bring him glory and that we can have that glory then reflected back on us. So very, very simply put, there are just two things I, I, want, to, I want to share with you that, that are 
communicated in these verses in terms of how we glorify God. The first way is, is our speech, what we say. I don't know who came up with this. It wasn't there when I was a parent, but uh, I, I heard my, my daughter and my daughter-in-law when, when our, my grandchildren were a little bit upset and when they were crying and when, when they were they're trying to communicate uh, my, my, my daughter, my daughter-in-law will, will, will bend down, get on a knee and look at, look at their, their daughter or, or my grandson and they'll say, use your words, use your words. Have you ever done that with your kids? I think that's really good. My, my method when I, when I had kids was uh, stop your crying and tell me what you want. Now that's a little less sensitive, if you know what I mean. Use, use your words. You want to talk about glorifying God? Use your words. Paul says in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. And he says, let your speech, what you say, always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt. Isn't that a great metaphor? Just that seasoning of salt. So that you will know how you should respond to each person. Then in Ephesians, he he, he writes, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will, be, it will give grace to those who hear. There, there's a grace theme in terms of how we, need to, how we need to speak if we're gonna use our speech, our words, to glorify God. So what are we called to do? We're called to have edifying speech. Speech, words, that's constructive. We're called to have grace-filled speech. Nothing punitive. Avoiding judgment when we talk to other people. Uh, beneficial speech for the good of the one to whom you're speaking. You want to glorify God? Speak in such a way that you'll give benefit to the person you're speaking. And pure speech. No profanity, how about that? And if you go, well, I don't use profanity. It, 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 it's, you can... You can even be profane without using profane words if you are not speaking the truth. It's truth that's spoken in love. I'm not really good at social media. I'm really not. I'm, I'm sort of still fumbling my way around, and I'm from the older generation that I, I think Facebook is really innovative and cool. I know it's not so cool anymore for most of you, but it's just like, wow, Facebook, that's really something, right? <laughs> So I'm on Facebook, you know, from time to time, and I, I look at what people post, and it's really pretty dismaying to me lately, some of the things that I read on Facebook. I, there are a lot of angry, angry, angry people out there, people that aren't really pleased with, with how things are going. I don't care if you're on the left or on the right, and usually it's the people on the left or right that have these, these back and forth with each other. And, you know, here's, here's my response to that. You know, outside of, outside of posts that I do about my grandkids, I really try to, to think through what I'm going to say if I say anything on social media. And here's my template. Is it constructive? Is it full of grace? Is this spoken for the good of the listener instead of trying to prove my own point? Are my words carefully chosen? 
I see believers a lot of times on social media saying things that I go, I sort of wince because I go, I don't know if this is glorifying the God. It's not my final judgment, and I'm not judging any of you. But I, I feel called personally and want to call you to grace-filled speech. Whether you write it down or whether you speak it to those in your life. I've told you this before. I've, I've heard this long ago. I, I, I think it's so true. The difference between bad parenting and good parenting is five seconds. It's just taking your time. It's thinking it through. Years ago, I was at a marriage retreat, and uh, the church I was with, uh, I spoke at it, and I was doing some, some uh, sessions, but uh, our senior pastor and his wife came to that retreat and they did a question and answer seminar and, and as they were up front uh, they were talking about their marriage and, and one of the things that I'll never forget uh, the uh, husband, the, the, the senior pastor said, uh, you know, we promised in our marriage never to use the D word, never to use it. And it's not maybe the D word that you think of initially. You know what the D word is? It's divorce. And I saw that marriage go through some real trials and they hung in there because they knew that their words were important and they wanted to glorify God with their words. So, use your words. Use your words. Praise God, not just with hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs, but with, with conversations that you have with your family and friends and, and everyday conversations with the people that you casually meet or people that cross your paths. Second point, last point, what we say, our speech, and then it's our service. It's what we do. Use your actions to glorify God. When my son, I think he was a senior in high school, we went out to, to dinner one night, our whole family, my daughter, my son, my wife, and myself, and got to the end of it, I was filling out the, the uh, receipt and, and uh, as I was getting to the point, you know, with gratuity, that little section, my son I don't know why he said this. He goes, Dad, he said, remember, witness with your money. <laughs> well, you know, that's easy for him to say. It's not his money, you know, right? But I thought, well, that's interesting. Witness with your money. And so I left a pretty hefty tip that night, you know. I, I thought, okay. I, I think it's important for us to understand that what we do needs to be measured through the template of does this glorify God? Parenthetically, and this is just a parenthetical part of my sermon, I'm not going to speak to all of you here, but I just want to speak to maybe some of you here. This is just little parentheses. Uh, we uh, are woefully behind in our budget, and uh, we need to take that seriously. I, I felt a, a call to take that seriously. So I'm not speaking to all of you because I know all of you are in a position where you might not be able to, to help out or give. I understand that, and so I'm not speaking to you. If you're new here, I'm really not speaking to you. But if you're here and uh, you, you sort of feel that tug like I, I felt a couple weeks ago, I want to I, I encourage you with, I, I, I felt led to double my tithe from now to the end of the year. And if you're in a position where God's blessed you and you can do that, I'd just like you to join with me and do that. Let's see if we can close that gap. No pressure. If you take care of your family first, don't, don't feel any kind of, of, of draw outside of if God would want you to join with me and do that. But I, I think we need to 
take that seriously. Let's witness with our money when it comes to this church. End of parentheses. Okay, I'm done with that, all right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. The will, the heart, the spirit is, is the soul. The strength is the physical actions. The intellect is the mind. Paul, Paul then brings the life that glorifies God into the most common and, uh, and, and shared activities of our lives. What all of us do, eating and drinking. We all have times in our day where, where, we, where, where we drink and where we eat. It's the most basic activities of life. He says, even in that, he says, I want you to understand that you need to glorify God. I think what he's saying here is there's no separation here between sacred and secular. God needs to permeate every part of our lives. If we take seriously glorifying God, then we need to bring him into all of our lives. Every aspect is a call to glorify God. We're called to live glorifying lives in our actions, how we act when we arise, when we get up in the morning. Are you glorifying God as you get up? How we interact with our loved ones. How we put others' needs before our own. How we comport ourselves when we drive our cars. How we work. How we treat our fellow workers. How we respond to our employees. How we react to our employer. How we interact with our families after work how we dine together, how we talk together, how we use our time at home in the evenings, how we care for ourselves with food and rest. All of our lives, Paul says, need to be glorify God. So I tried to figure out, okay, how am I going to apply this? I tried to put this to the test personally. And I, I was thinking of, you know, what's the, what's the area that I struggle in in terms of, you know, putting God first or glorifying him. And it was, I didn't have to think long. It's, I'm so competitive when I play sports and when I watch sports. But I, I play tennis regularly with a group of men. We played, played for 12 years in the same location, same time. And I have struggled, I confess to you, um, I just don't like to lose. I just don't think God wants me to lose for some reason. I don't know, but I just don't like to lose at all. And, and sometimes it affects my attitude. I've lost my temper. I've, I've questioned calls that other men who are full of the Holy Spirit make that I wonder if they are. I mean, it's just, it's just sometimes I really, really get frustrated. So here's what, I did a little test. I said, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. And this Wednesday that I played, I said, okay, God, and I did pray about this. I said, God, today I wanna glorify you. See, because my prayers most of the time were, God, help me to have a better attitude. Help me not to lose my temper. You know, help me to, you know, with my second serve or whatever, right? It's all about me. How I am viewed. But you know, something happens when you go, wait, wait a second. God, I think I want to glorify you. I want to put my eyes on you when, I, when I'm playing tennis. So I started that day, and I'm telling you, it was a day like I've never had playing tennis before. I did not win, and I didn't care. I just, be, I, I began to say, okay, what will God be glorified by? My words to my partner, my words to my opponents, how, how I, 
I, I handled myself, and just it was a day where I just felt lifted. I, I, I've never had such a fun day playing tennis because my whole perspective had changed. I'm not, not trying to glorify myself. It's not about me. I just want to be able to glorify God. And you know what? It just comes back in this wonderful way of, ah, this is, this is what this is about. So whether you're driving, disciplining your children, discussing some heated matter, or just in your daily grind, are you glorifying God? Remember Westminster Confession, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So here it is. Here's, here's the secret. There's only one thing that brings me pure joy. And I would encourage you with this truth that I think there's only one thing that's going to bring you pure joy. It's doing something, and many times with me, it's stumbling upon something that brings glory to God, that lifts him up. A kind word, an unselfish act of service, usage of my gifts, for the benefit of others, being obedient when it's not easy. Those are the times that I really experience that joy. If you're not a believer, I, I want to invite you into that joy. If you're here, you're still considering who Christ is and, and, and want to know if you should move ahead in terms of taking step of faith, I encourage you to do it. It's the willing acceptance of God's forgiveness and a life then lived to the glory of God. That's what we are called to. That's why we were made You're one act of obedience away from joy like you've never experienced. Trust me on that. If you're a believer, I'm encouraging you to once again remember what gave and what can again give you the joy that this world can never, ever give. One of the stanzas in, in Julia Ward Howe's beautiful Battle Hymn of the Republic went, went like this. He, God, has sounded forth a trumpet that shall never call retreat. He's sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. And I like this line, oh, be swift, my soul to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. We're called, you and I, to glorify God. And what we say, use your words. And what we do, use your actions. And I want us to take the next few minutes here, and I, I want us in, in sort of a, uh, once again, a celebration of 15 years of being a church. I want us to look and see the stories of some men and women who have taken these, this call seriously and who've glorified God in their lives. Let's look. <laughs> 